um, if you're if you're taking notes, um, you can see behind me and I can see in front of me, which is kind of cool. Um, a look at the Father, and we're going to notice six things about our Father. Did some of you not know that? I saw some of you turn around. You've never you've never noticed that. That's good. That means Ryan's keeping your attention completely. So. Um, or the ushers are not letting you ever turn around. So that's kind of cool. Um, we're going to notice six things about the Father. But the first thing I'd like to do is go ahead and read um, the parable of the, of the lost son or of the prodigal son. Let's, um, in, in verse 11, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he is still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Um, what a beautiful story. And I, I want you to know that, you know, if, if you have a red letter Bible, and I hope that you do, um, you know, this is Jesus speaking and Jesus is telling these stories to people to describe his father and their father, to, to describe God. And it's such a beautiful thing. You know, I want you to understand the, the place in which this happened. Jesus had a bunch of people gathered together who were regular people. And what they had been getting from church as they knew it is do this and do that and don't you dare do this and don't you dare do that and don't you dare do too much on Saturday and you better not go over here and you better not talk to these people and your taxes better be paid and everything better be just right. And if you're not God, you know, he does not love you. You are not right with him. You're and all of these things. And Jesus comes and he gathers people together and he just says, look, I want to tell you about, 
about God. I want to tell you about the Heavenly Father. I want to tell you about how he, you know, how he feels about you, how he relates to you. One of the things that Jesus used to say is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come and learn about it. You know, and he would, he would find ways that people could understand. And you know what I find so fascinating is, and is that, you know, we fast forward a couple of thousand years and church has become again the very thing that it was when, when Jesus came by and large. It's become a place where we tell people what to do and what not to do. And we talk to them in ways that regular people are incapable of understanding. I don't know how many of you, but I certainly have, have been in a church, sat through a service and thought, well, I guess that was good, but I don't really know what it means. And I certainly don't know what it means to me. I don't really have any idea what any of that has to do with my life. And what I want to say to you is that's not the way it should be. And I don't have any qualms about saying that to you because I know that's not what Ryan does. But uh, by and large, this is what people are receiving again. And I, I think like, you know, obviously I want to as a pastor, Ryan does, but you as Christian people, we ought to want to do what Jesus did. We ought to want to find ways to explain God to people in ordinary situations so that they can understand. We need to find ways to talk to people. You know, there are people that you can talk to that I'll never get a chance to. There are people that you come in contact with that are never going to walk in here and listen to Ryan. And I think the charge for us as Christians is to be like Christ. And what he did is he went to where people were and he explained himself. He explained his father. He explained the kingdom in language that they could understand, in things that related to where they were. And, you know, I think obviously, like I said, as a as a Bible teacher, this is your goal. But as a Christian, this ought to be our goal. To find ways to explain God to other people. And sort of before we look at any of them, if you're here and you're a believer and you love the Lord and, and there are non-believers in your life, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to try to find some ways to explain the Lord to people so that they can understand. So that, that you can explain to them why any of this has anything to do with their life. Such an amazing opportunity we have, such an amazing opportunity Jesus took. Now, the first thing that I want us to notice about the father comes from verse 12. And in verse 12, it says that the younger son came and that he asked for the father to divide his livelihood. And then it says, so the father divided and gave it to him. And I got to tell you, this does not read right to me. You know, I have a son, now he's 12, you know, but if it's 17 or 18, if he came to me and said, hey, dad, you know, where there's Hannah, there's Grace, there's me, and so I, I want you to liquidate everything you have, you know, or I want you to take your savings, chop it in thirds, and give it to me, I would say to him, get out of here, and I think it's time you start paying rent, <laughs> right? That's how I would respond to him. There's no, absolutely no way that I would divide my savings in third and give it to him, especially if I knew he was going to take off and put himself in situations he couldn't be. And certainly the father here knew that about his younger son. But I want you to notice that this father, who represents our heavenly father, he just got out his checkbook and, and, and he just gave it to him. You know what this teaches me about our heavenly father? That he gives liberally to his kids. The first thing I noticed about him, he, he probably shouldn't have given to the younger son, but he did because it's who he is. You know, just the same way I would never do it, like our heavenly father would never think, would never think to not do it. He just lavishes upon his children, you know, and, and he will give you the, the freedom and the ability to do what you want to do. You know, it's almost like the father financed this rebellion. 
It's like he financed this ability to turn away. And one of the things that this has always spoken to me is that God allows us to rebel. You know, if you don't want to learn about him, if you don't want to walk with him, if you don't want to know about him, if you don't want to pursue him, he allows you to not do that. He will allow you to to be with him or to not be with him. And I grew up with this idea that if I wasn't doing everything God wanted to do, that he, you know, that he was going to squash me. You know, and I, I grew up in a church and, you know, um, everybody went to Sunday school, right? The adults and the kids. And then we all came together for service. And somehow I got this idea being around the adults that God was always half upset with me. And, and that he was just waiting for me to make the wrong move. I like to describe it like I saw God as this giant boot that was just hovering over me wherever I went, waiting for me to do the wrong thing so that he could just come down, you know, and just absolutely crush me. I didn't grow up with the understanding that he gives liberally to his kids, that if I want to walk away from him, he, he's fine with that. If I want to be near him, he's fine with that, that he lavishes things upon me, not because of what I do, but because of who he is. You see, I still, to this day, all these years later, all the things that I know about the Lord, all the things that I know about his word, I still fight this idea that God is pleased with me because of what I do and what I don't do. And you know, that's just simply not true. He loves me just because of who he is. And the things that God wants me to do and the things that he wants me not to do, they're for my benefit. They're for me, they're not for him. He, God is not any less pleased with me when I skip a day of reading my Bible than, than he is when I read my Bible. God is not any less pleased with me when I forget to take something to him first than he is when I do. Nor is he any more pleased with me when I get up and the first thing in the morning that I do is read my Bible and I pray. Those things are for me, they're not for him. He doesn't look at me that way. He gives me love. He gives me grace. He gives me forgiveness liberally, right? This is who he is. And it is still difficult for me to grasp. And you know why it's difficult for me to grasp? Because I'm not like this. You know, I'm, I'm not like this. If my children continue to sort of repeat things, it, it upsets me. Now, I guess in a little way I am because I never stop loving them. But I, but I certainly stopped giving to him. If I knew that my son was going to take something I gave him and he was going to go and use it to his detriment, I, I would never do it, right? But spiritually speaking, God just gives liberally. Whatever you want to do with it, whatever I want to do with it, that, that, that's, up to, that's up to me. That's up to you. God pours out grace and forgiveness on your life. How you want to respond to that is totally up to you. He pours out love and grace and forgiveness on my life. How I want to respond to it is totally my choice. It's an amazing thing to know about him. You know, and I think it's something that we need to know about him. The, the next thing that I notice about him comes from verse 20. And, you know, we're, we're not focusing on the prodigal, so you know what he did. But then in verse 20, as he comes home, um, it says, he arose and came to his father. And here's the part. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and ran to him. Now, there, there's a couple explanations for this. One is, it was just dumb luck. The father just happened to be at the edge of his property, and he happened to look down the road, and he happened to see him and recognize him, and, and, and you know, he ran and, and saw him. I, I don't believe that that's true. 
What I believe that this tells us is that every day since that son left, the father went to the very edge of his place and he, and he looked and he watched and he waited. And here's the second thing that this teaches me about our father, that the father watches and waits for his children. He'll allow you to walk away from him. He'll allow you to, to do what you want. But when you go outside the confines of who and where he is, you know what he's doing? He's not doing what I do. When people go out of the confines of who I am and what I've done for him, I try the best I can to forget about him. Yeah, I try the best I can just to not be anxious and not be frustrated. And, and, but God doesn't do that. He watches and he waits. I see him there just day after day looking for that younger son. And you see, it says when he was a great way off. And I just have this picture in my mind of, you know, uh, sort of slightly elevated, you know, and he could see the road a long way off. But even a straight road that seems flat has, you know, small undulations in it. And somewhere in the distance on one of those, someone just came, run, just came walking up. You know, and I, and I picture the son like, slow and apprehensive and his and his head you know his head down and far skinnier than he was last time he saw him but the father recognized him somehow he recognized his walk somehow he recognized his you know his mannerisms somehow you know maybe he had super high-powered bushnell binoculars i don't i don't know how he did it but somehow he saw him and the thing that i want that i want to say to you today is that um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could be people who come to church, who um, are even involved in things and who are even doing things like in every outward appearance could be that we're with the Lord. But the truth, the inward reality could be that we're far away from him. You know, it is a human thing to substitute activity and outward appearance for any matter of the heart. Something that we've been doing since the dawn of time. You know, we've substituted activity. We've substituted outward things for what is really going on inside. And I, I would believe that there are some people here this morning that one way or another are away from your father. You know, maybe there are some people here, because I don't know you, that are just blatantly away. Maybe today's the first time you've come in, in quite a while. Maybe there, there has been no even attempt to outwardly hide that you're away from the Lord. Here's what I want you to know. If you belong to him, if you've given your life to him, if you've surrendered to him at some point in your life, the, the day you walked away, whether it's in your heart or whether it's with all of your life, he has been waiting and watching for you. He's been watching for you. And if you're someone who's been physically away, when you came here today, he began to get excited. You know, he ran. And, and I don't know what you know about, you know, biblical culture, but, um, but, but men like men of power and men of influence and, and heads of household, uh, they, they, they didn't run very often. You know, it's sort of awkward. They didn't wear Levi's, you know, so they had to pick up their dress and, and, you know, and run. And it was an awkward thing, and, it, and they just didn't do it, you know? But he ran to his son. He didn't care how he looked. He didn't care if it humiliated him. He didn't care if it brought him down a notch. Why? Because he was waiting. Maybe today you're that person who's here, and you're away from him in your heart. Well, I'll tell you this. The moment that he knew that I would be here today, and this would be the passage, he began to get excited about you. 
He, be, he began to, to, to make moves toward you. He began to say, man, I'm, I'm so glad that they're going to hear today that I'm watching their heart, that I'm waiting for them. Not to, you know, not to squash them, not to condemn them, but to forgive and to love and to restore, to bring them back where they are supposed to be. And, and let me say this too. Maybe you are with the Lord. Well, you know what? Maybe this is one of those things you ought to try to find a way to explain to somebody who's not. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how many people I meet who have some knowledge of the Lord, but not a relationship with him. They have some knowledge or maybe have had a time where they walked with the Lord, but you just kind of come in contact with them and something has happened. You know, something at church has upset them. Somebody has done them wrong. Something has sort of gone haywire and now they're, they're just sort of out there and they kind of believe in God, but they haven't found their way back. This would be a wonderful thing to take to, to the world. So it'd be a wonderful thing to take to people who, you know, who know God, but, but aren't with him to let them know. Did you know that in the story of the prodigal son, that when, when that son made any movement to the father, the father saw him, that he was waiting for him, that he was watching for him. He's doing the same for you. What a, what a wonderful thing. I had this opportunity one time in a, um, in a Carl's Jr. It was kind of a, a funny thing because I, I'm not the, I'm not the kind of guy to go to a place and eat by myself. I've a, I have a lot of friends. Karen and I spend a lot of time together, and, and it's it's rare for me to be sitting down somewhere and eating a meal by myself. It's just I could probably count on one hand the number of times I've done it in the last seven or eight years. I, I just don't do it. But I was super hungry. Nobody was around. There's a Carl's right down the street from the church. I went in, and, and I was going to drive through because I don't like to sit in a play. I kind of feel like I look like a loser you know, sitting in there by myself. So I was going to drive through and take it back to church and the drive through was just slammed. And so I just thought, all right, I'm just going to park and go. I know I'm not a loser, right? So I'm just going to go in and, and eat. And I went in and sat down and there was a kid who used to go, I wasn't a kid, you know, might've been mid to late twenties who used to go to our church. And I remember when he, he left the church and he moved and I always assumed that he left because I did something to upset him. I usually assume that until I've been notified otherwise, because you know, it's, it's entirely possible. Um, and, and I saw him there and I felt awkward seeing him like, oh man, you know, it'd been a while, but you know, I went over to him and I was like, Hey Jimmy, man, it's great to see you. And, and then he just began to like, to like pour out his heart. And, you know, I was like super stoked cause it had nothing to do with me, you know? And, and he was just saying like, you know, they had a hard time and he stopped, you know, trusting the Lord. And it's just like, he's just been wanting to come back and he's been wanting to find the Lord. And I was able to sit down and talk to him about this very story. And the Lord was able to forgive him and to, and to bring him back and to restore him. And, you know, he came back to church and then he moved somewhere else. And the last I knew he was in fellowship and he was doing great. And, and you know, our world is littered with people like him, littered with him. And unfortunately, all too often, I'm way too consumed with what I'm doing to even notice, you know, he watches and he waits. And maybe that's for you or maybe it's for you to hold on to and to give to somebody else. But I, I love it and I hope you do too. The next thing I noticed about the father comes from verses 21 and 22. And this is that part where he has rehearsed his apology speech. Have you guys ever done this? Like, you know, you're wrong and you have to talk to somebody and you're like, okay, and then this is what I'm gonna say, you know, and this is how I'm gonna say it. And I don't know if you're like that, I'm like that. 
You know, and I, I kind of like try to rehearse what I'm going to say. And then, and then I spend my time thinking, if I say this and then they say that, then, you know, then I'm going to say this. And I kind of can drive myself crazy doing it. But especially when I need to apologize, I want to make sure that I've kind of gone over it in my head, that it, you know, that, that it expresses what I want to express. And, you know, and then I'm saying, okay, Karen, you know, you stand there and, and let me, you know, let me give you my speech. And you tell me like, you know, is it sincere? And does it say the right things? And this is what the son did. He's like, man, I need to eat. And, but I can't just show up like, hey, I'm home. You know, I, I have to acknowledge what I've done. And I have to tell him I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And I don't even expect you to treat me like your son. Just just treat me like a servant, you know, put me out in the bunkhouse, but, but I, I just, I'm not making it. I'm dying on my own. And so the father comes to him, right? And then, you know, when he fell on his neck and he kissed him and then it's like the boy pushed him away and he, and he just, he went into his speech, father, I'm not worthy to be called your, and like right in the middle of the speech, it says the father just turns from him and says to the servant, go get the robe. And get the sandals and get the ring and, and tell them to, to kill the fatted calf and get ready because we're about to rejoice. We're about to have a celebration. Do, do you know what this teaches me about the father? It teaches me that our father sees the heart of his kids. He sees the heart. He didn't need to hear the words. Now, humans need to hear the words, right? Because they can't see the heart. I think I have a good reading on your heart, but, but I need to hear the words. When you express the words to me, then I can see your heart a little clearer. But you see, the father is not like that. He's not like that. There is not some prescribed thing that you need to say to him. There is not some mantra that you need to repeat or some prayer that you need to pray. He sees your heart. And you see, this is intended to be good news. But depending upon the state of your heart, it can be either really good news or it can be kind of scary news. Because you see that I am transparent to the Lord. I'm like a glass wall, man. He just sees right through me. I am not, you know, or, or not always transparent to other people. I can show people what I want and I can. And I think we always are revealing more than we think we are. But you know what I mean? You know, I can hold things back and I can pretend to be more spiritual than I am and closer to the Lord than I am. And I'll just tell you this, being a pastor for 16 years, there, there have been more times than I would care to admit that I've stood in this place acting to be more spiritual than I actually am. You know, representing that my heart is closer to the Lord than it actually is, you know. And I think that, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that's why... I am so repulsed by pastors who always talk great about themselves, who always share the stories that they share with you are these, how they led the neighbor to the Lord, you know, how their kids are amazing, how their wife is the luckiest woman in the world, you know, how just all what they're doing for the Lord and how in Bible college they were the top student. And listen, I was a screw off in Bible college. Lucky I made it through. Everybody's probably surprised as heck that I'm pastoring a church, you know? Um, and, and, if, and here's just a good rule for you. If you go to a church where the pastor only shares his good stories, find another church because he is not telling you the truth. He's not telling you the truth. And, and I would say, and I say this to pastors when I talk to them, listen, if you're, not, and if you're not willing to share your faults, then don't share anything about yourself. Because you're giving people the idea that you've got it all together and just subconsciously you're making them feel bad. 
I think people need to know that sometimes you stand here and pretend to be more spiritual than you are. Because somebody's got to do the Bible study and it's my job. But I'm not in any place to do it. My heart isn't any place to do it. And you know what? Every time I've done that, although maybe the people don't see my heart, my father does. He sees it, you know? And you know, the the flip side of that is this. I have hurt people. I have disappointed people. I have, I have sinned against people and I have been broken in my heart and I've tried to express it to them and they have not seen it because of what I've done. You know, because I've, I've hurt them or I've made them feel like I use them or I've, I've done these things, they can't see my heart. But in that place, he does. My father does. He knows when I'm broken. He knows when I'm repentant. He knows when I'm humble. He sees my heart. And today, if you have a heart that is right now saying, God, I love you. Lord, I need you. I need to be close to you. You don't need to convince me. Because quite frankly, if I knew you and you just had a pattern of of being flaky with the Lord and you came today and said, oh, the Lord really spoke to me in my heart, I would say, praise the Lord, let me pray for you. I would get in my car and I would think, well, we'll see. That's what I would think, right? But I'm not God. I can't see your heart. He can't. He can, he sees it, he knows it. And I think the other thing that shows us is he responds to our heart, right? Isn't that something we learned through this whole story? The heart of the son was to go away and to have a good time and to spend money. And the father responded to that. That, you know, I just see him like, this isn't good for you. You shouldn't do this, but here it is. And then when the son came back broken and humble, willing to take whatever he could get, the father responded to that heart. And he gave him a robe and he gave him a ring and sandals and a a party. And I want to tell you that there isn't anything that God cares about more than your heart. Anything. You see, I care about a lot of times what comes out of your life. I care about what you do and what you say and how you carry yourself. And I can't help myself. But our father, he cares about your heart. Because you could totally... I've been a Christian long enough, and I know many of you have been a Christian long enough to not, you know, if if I don't want to, I don't have to say the wrong things. I don't have to do the wrong things. I don't have to show anybody any of that. But that means nothing about my heart. You, You can modify your behavior, right? But God sees right past that. He He sees right into your heart. I think one of the things when I think about this, I used to do prison ministry and we're doing it again, but I used to do these weekend uh, retreats for prisoners and you got to know guys. And I remember there was this like drug addict gangbanger guy from Hawaii and I got a chance, you know, I, 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 I taught and I actually was teaching this passage and he came to me and he was just broken and, and he said, man, I'm ready to surrender my life to, to the Lord. And, and so we were going to, you know, we were going to pray and I said, okay, look, man, you just need to here's what you need to do. I don't, I don't want to lead you in a little prayer that's not you, but here's what you need to do. You need to tell the Lord that you failed. You need to tell him you've messed up your life. You need to ask him to forgive you. Tell, you that, tell him that you believe in him and, and invite him to come into your heart and into your life. And so, you know, we, we held hands and, and, he, and this is how he started. Jesus, I've effed up my life. And then he's like, oh, oh man, I'm sorry. And I, and I just thought, hey, listen, man, you're not talking to me. You know, and I thought like it kind of shocked me, but he gave his life to the Lord. He was broken. And to tell you the truth, it was one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever witnessed. 
because it was, it was from his heart, you know? Remember another guy, Mario, he actually had AIDS from being a heroin addict and I got to lead him to the Lord and he was part of 18th Street, which is a gang in, in Los Angeles. And, and right here on his hand, he had these little 18 tattoos, you know, his gang tattoos. And we were holding hands and he was praying and I was watching tears splash off his, off his gang tattoos. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know what he did and I don't, man, I don't care because man, he gave his heart to the Lord and it was awesome. And God cared about that more than anything, more than anything he had ever done previously. God cared about his heart more than he would ever do from that moment forward. God cared about his heart. And the same is true with you. God sees, knows, and is concerned about your heart. Next thing I noticed, the fourth thing, if you're keeping track, and it's verse 28. Now, now we move to the older brother. And he comes in, he finds out, and look what it says in verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, because of that, his father came out and pleaded with him. So here's the scene. We have the older brother. He's upset. I never got a party. What's going on? And he won't go in. And he is upset, right? You can tell because when he talks about his brother, he says, this son of yours. He doesn't even claim him as a brother. You can tell he's angry and he's been bitter because he said he's devoured your livelihood with harlots. That's not in the story. Nobody knows what he was doing. Why would the older brother say he devoured your livelihood with harlots? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think he said that because if he was off with a bunch of money, that's exactly what he would be doing. That's how we are as humans, right? We like to, we accuse people of doing things that we sort of wish we could do. You know, and what bothers us most about people is, is things that are true about us. It's like who we are. He devoured your livelihood with harlot. Really? Nobody's heard that. I mean, maybe he did. But I think we just learned a little something about the older brother. Is I think what we learned, right? He's angry. He's bitter. He won't go in. And I'm thinking if I'm the father, I say to the servant, then you go out and tell him he's missing one heck of a party. Go ahead in and shower and go to bed for all we care. You know, like teach them a lesson, right? You don't eat your vegetables, you're going to bed, you're not getting any dinner, right? To this day, I love vegetables and that's the reason. You know, as a kid, I hate them, but I had to eat them. And now I choose to eat them. It's kind of a funny thing, you know, but that's how I would have treated them. It's, it's not how God treated them. The fourth thing I see about the father is this. He meets his kids where they're at. The older brother was angry, he was wrong, he was in sin, he was bitter, and the father met him there. The younger son was broken and he was humble, and the father met him there. And what we learn about the father is this, he will meet his kids where they're at. And so I told you that he went to the edge of the property, he watched, he wanted him to come back, but I know from walking away from the Lord that intermittently through that whole time that I was away, he tried to meet me and he tried to speak to me and he tried to reach out to me. You know, so because he's God, he can do both. He can watch and wait and he can also come and meet you. You know, and I remember when I was choosing to live in sin that there would be times that God would speak to me so clearly. Times that he would reach out to me and then if I would ignore it, it would just kind of go away for a while. You know, while he just watched and waited and then something else would come up, he'd send somebody my way and, you know, a situation would come up and he, he would try to reach out to me again. And he meets his kids where they're at. He's not this sort of 
um, childish father who says, if you want to see me, you come and see me. You know, I have, um, have had, you know, parents in my church who treat their kids this way. You know, they're adult children. Like you, you know, you come to me and, and all of this kind of stuff. And it's just so wrong, you know, in, in these situations. And I know, you know, something that, you know, that uh, my parents have done, which I appreciate from them is, um, you know, when we didn't have any kids, we always went to them. But now that, you know, we got three little kids and they're, you know, especially when they were all like, you know, not even going to school yet. And you know what a hassle it is? To take, and I'm sure a lot of you do, to get three little kids ready, get everything going, take them somewhere else. You know, at home, I can lock them in their cage, I mean their bedroom, um, you know, and, and like just put the gate across and throw some Cheerios on the floor and, you know, but at somebody else's house, I'm just on constant high alert that they're just destroying the place like a demo crew, you know. And I, I know, you know, grandpa doesn't care about that, but my dad switched to, to coming to us. You know, and it, and it was awesome. And he didn't, you know, sit there and say, well, you got to, if you want to see me, you got to come to me. And, and you, we can be this way, but our father's not this way. He'll meet us where we're at. And this is a wonderful thing that applies to every single one of us here today. God wants to meet you right where you're at. If you're, if you're loving him and you're excited about him, he wants to meet you there and he wants to love you and he wants to speak to you and he wants to encourage you. If, if you're away from him and you're disappointed in yourself and you're, you've got guilt and shame, he wants to meet you there. And he wants to restore you and forgive you and pour out love on your life. If you're proud and hard-hearted and you think you're better than everybody else here, he wants to meet you there. And he wants to soften your heart and he wants to forgive you and he wants to love you. Maybe, you know, maybe there's even someone who's not a Christian. He wants to meet you where you're at. And he wants to say, this is who I am. This is what I've done for you. Gave my life for you. You know, I gave my son. And I did it because I love you. I want to forgive you. I want to live in you. He meets us where we're at. And this is something that is so important to Karen and I. You know, I know many of you know about us. um, But the last couple years have just been an exciting and terrifying adventure. You know, since the last time I was here with you, I've had two surgeries. I had a kidney transplant, and then I had my diseased kidneys taken out. Um, Karen, you know, during that, trying to give me a kidney, found out she had lung cancer. Then we found out that it was metastatic, stage four, you know, medically incurable, inoperable, all of these things, you know, every, seems like every appointment we go to for her, it just gets worse and worse. She started chemo halfway through. She just took a scan and, you know, just typically it, it almost makes us laugh. We got news and it's good and it's bad. It's just like, you know, the, all the tumors in her lung, they're all better. They're all smaller. The ones that are outside her lung, they seem to be more active. They seem to be sort of attacking her T9 and a couple of her ribs. And it's just like, okay, Lord. And every time, every single time, he meets us where we're at. He comes to us. He doesn't stand back and say, listen, I know you're scared, but you come over here. You you come and find me. I know you don't know what's going on. I know you're a little confused, but you better come to me. You better cry out to me. You better find me. That's not how he's treated us ever, ever. He's met us where we're at always, 
we've been afraid. We've been confused. You know, and one of the things is I, as, and I'm getting, I'm getting tired of talking about it in Bible studies, but I, I know that it's important, that it's an important opportunity to, to share with people. But one of the things I want to do is I want to make sure that while I tell you that the Lord has poured out love on us and he's given us an ability to trust him, to know that our life belongs to him, that I don't make it seem like, like we don't, that we're not confused and we're not terrified and we're not um, a little unsure about her dying and leaving three kids behind. And sometimes I get the idea listening to pastors, and here we go again, that like, oh, you know, my wife has inoperable brain cancer. Praise the Lord. You know? Um, that's crap. You know, it, it is. It's not true. And they're acting that way. And listen, it's okay to say the Lord's giving us peace. He met us where we're at. He's giving us love and hope because that's true. But you also need to tell people, listen, we're scared. You know, and one thing I learned through this, God gives you peace one day at a time. You know, like in the Lord's prayer, give us this day, our daily bread. He doesn't give us a week's worth of peace. He gives us peace for what we face today. And when I, when, like right now, today, I have all the peace in the world about our situation. But if later this afternoon, I start thinking, man, am I going to be able to raise two teenage girls? Who, I, can I do their hair for prom if the Lord takes her home? Can, if I start thinking about that, am I going to be able to sleep in the bed by myself? Am I still going to live in the house? Do I want to pastor the church? Suddenly, all my peace is gone. And if Karen, like right now, she's filled with peace, having a great time, you know, but if she starts thinking, Lord, am I going to see Hannah and Grace get married? Am I going to see Titus graduate high school? Am I ever going to see him play high school football? Are are we going to be able to do these things? All her peace is gone. And we have those times. And I would be lying to you if I said we didn't. We have them. We are afraid. We are confused. We do wonder why us. Of course we do. But... The Lord meets us where we're at. You know, when people say things like, oh, I'm just so impressed by you clinging on to the Lord. And I always think like, this would be a terrible time to let go of the Lord. You know, like I might let go of the Lord when everything's great. When I got a lot of money and free time and I want to have some fun, that would be a good time to let go of the Lord. But now would be a terrible time. You know, this would just be a horrible time to do it. And I want to tell you that wherever you're at, and, and I want to say this too, I sometimes talk about what we're going through and people say like that makes, you know, my problems seem like nothing. And that's great. But your problems are something to you, no matter how small they are. And if you're discouraged and confused and afraid, God will meet you there. He'll meet you there today. You need to know that you need to receive that, that he wants to meet you where you're at. If you're hard-hearted, and I know Christians feel like this, like I'm trying to read my Bible and I'm trying to pray and I'm trying to serve the Lord, but I just don't feel close to him. I just don't, I just don't feel like I used to. I just want to be passionate for him. I want to be on fire for the Lord. And you know, we sing the songs like I surrender all. And you just think like, man, I'm a, you, know, you look around and people have their hands up and this glow on their face. And you think I must be a failure. Like I obviously can't be surrendering all to the Lord because I don't, I just don't feel anything. I don't have any zeal. And listen, the Lord wants to meet you there. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but you know, he, he uh, compares us to trees, right? Fruit bearing trees. You, there's different seasons, right? Which you know a lot more than we do living in Southern California. It's 95 right now. The whole state's on fire, you know, so not much of a fall, you know, 
Unless you mean by houses falling as they burn. That's our fall, apparently. There's different seasons and leaves fall off and fruit's done and things get ugly and barren and cold. And you know that happens to us. And winter isn't supposed to feel like summer. But the thing you got to know is that if there's no fruit on your branches, there's, there's supposed to be something awesome taking place under the ground. There's nutrition that is being built into that thing so that next summer it can bear fruit again. And my whole life, I've just had these summers and then through the fall and the winter, you know, these springs and summers and then the fall and the winter, I just feel like a terrible Christian. And God, why, you know, why don't I feel this way? And how come I'm not passionate like I used to be? And I need to realize that God wants to meet me in fall and winter the same way he, you know, differently, but the same that he does in spring and summer. It's just in fall and winter, he meets me underground. You know, he builds things into me that are, that are going to turn into passion, that are going to turn into zeal, that are going to turn into fruit. But right now, it's not that time. And my heart breaks for people who are just knocking themselves out, trying to do everything they can, and they, and they feel like failures. Listen, the Lord wants to meet you there today, and maybe that's what he wants to say to you. I want to pour into you. I'm getting you ready for something. Just, just know that I love you. Just know that I understand Know that I'm there with you. Verse 31, this is where the father says to the son, you know, the son says, you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. And he says, all I have is yours. This tells me the father sees things differently than we do, right? The younger son that whole time thought that, you know, that's not mine. I can't do this. I can't do that. The father said, anytime you wanted a goat, it was yours. Anytime you wanted this, it was yours. Everything I have is yours. He sees things differently than we do. And you know, for me right now, that this, this is what I'm saying to you. Like I battle, this, I battle this feeling that if I'm not doing the right things, God's not pleased with me. And therefore, he, he doesn't want to meet me. And he doesn't want to speak to me. And he doesn't want to encourage me because, you know, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not talking about you know, living in sin. I'm not talking about you're sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse or, you know what I mean? I'm talking about like, oh man, I didn't read my Bible very much this week and I didn't, I didn't spend any time in real prayer. I just, I just prayed when I was in trouble and I need God to help me, you know, but I didn't, I didn't invest any time in prayer and I'm not, you know, I'm not just trying to listen to him and, and I get in those places and I just think, well, God obviously doesn't want to speak to me because I don't want to listen. And you know, there, there's some biblical references where, you know, we're told to circumcise our ears and to have an ear to hear. And I understand that. But I just want to tell you, God sees things differently than we do. Right? Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And I always try to explain to people that there's a difference to me. And I know this is semantics and it may not even be a good definition, but it helps me to understand. There's a difference between condemnation and guilt. Because guilt can be good. You do something wrong and you're guilty, you should feel some guilt. I don't like when people totally hurt me and then they come back and they have no guilt whatsoever. I want them to have a little guilt, you know? It's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing for my kids, right? I have a little guilt. And I make myself hold back to, you know, to to say, okay, I love you and just want them to feel it for a little bit. Condemnation, I think biblically, is that which drives us away from the Lord. Man, I'm so bad. I haven't done it. God doesn't want to speak to me. That's condemnation, and that's not from the Lord, and we're not supposed to have it. Guilt that says, Lord, I am so sorry. 
And I don't want to do that again. I want to listen to you next time, right? It's the idea of Joshua. You remember in AI when he just thought, oh, that little town, we'll go and wipe them out. And he just sent a few guys and they got defeated. And then, and then Joshua's like, oh man, we did something wrong. And you know what he did? He did the right thing. He cried out to the Lord. He fell on his face. And God told him, get up and ask me before you do something next time. And Joshua's like, okay, man, that's what I want to do, right? And that guilt, that, that feeling, it drove him to the Lord. That, that can be a good thing. Condemnation drives us away from the Lord. God sees things differently. He's not looking at you and saying, you know what? You didn't read your Bible. Don't ask me for help now. That's not him. That's not our father. You got yourself in this mess. You know, I think you ought to, you know, I I think I'm going to leave you there for a year or two. That's not our father. Jonah stayed in the belly of a great fish for three days. You know why he did? Because it took him three days to cry out to the Lord. If Jonah had cried out to the Lord in six hours, he'd have got spit up onto the shore in about seven hours. You know, Jonah was, you know, didn't understand how God saw him. You know, I don't necessarily think God was punishing him. I think that's what happened to Jonah because he didn't obey the Lord. God just wanted him to turn back to him. And as soon as he did, spit him up on the shore and send him to Nineveh. You know, God sees things differently than we do. And, and I'm sure that has a ton of, of implications for you. And, and I would encourage you to think about what are the ways in my life that I'm viewing myself and God could be viewing me totally differently. The last thing, verse 32, and this is when he tries to explain to the older son. And he says, it is right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother is dead and alive again and was lost and is found. And I'll tell you what this speaks to me about our father, that our father takes joy in us. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't condemn him. He didn't tell him, okay, you be a servant for a week and maybe next week I'll make you a son. You go sit over there and then I'll bring you to the house. We'll have a party for you if you have, you know, a year of sober living, you know, kind of a thing. He, he, didn't, he didn't do that to him. He took joy in the fact that, that he came back to him. He took joy in the fact that he made steps to him. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that the psalmist says that God knows what you're made out of. And you know what it is, right? Dirt. He knows that you are a walking bag of dirt. That's what I look like from God's perspective. This amazing claymation figure who is just walking around. And God knows that without his breath in me, I wouldn't be able to do anything. He knows me. And when I, as a walking, self-centered, self-consumed you know, animated pile of dirt, make any attempt at all to turn to him, it just fills his heart with joy. Just fills his heart with joy. You know, I had a, um, I had a friend one time, he came to my church, his non-saved buddy in high school, and he saw people raising their hands and he asked me, why are they doing that? And I was gonna tell him something about David and give him a verse, and I thought, you know, this guy doesn't even know anything about the Bible. I need to come up with a better reason. I said, you know what? I, I have something I want to tell you, but I think it's kind of stupid. So I, I want to pray about it and, and I want to talk to you later. And he said, okay. And it took about a week and I went back to him and this is what I said. I said, I think people are raising their hands, at least I hope they are, to God for the same reason that my kids raised their hands to me. You know? And they were little at that time. And I said, as I thought about it, there's a few reasons. One is terror. 
You know, and at that time, it was a vacuum cleaner. My kids were scared to death of the vacuum cleaner. And whenever Karen was cleaning house, I could guarantee that I would have three kids just at my feet like this. Save me, daddy. Save me. You know, and I, I'd have to put two on the counter and hold one. But their hands were up. Another reason is because they were just tired. We had Disneyland passes at that time. We used to take the kids a lot. And, you know, they always wanted to walk for a while. And then, you know, it's just like this. And you just, you know, you carry, you know, you carry around dead weight, you know, 60 pounds in each arm. And Disneyland wasn't a lot of fun for me, you know. And they're just exhausted, right? And, and then there was, there was another reason. We have this Baskin Robbins in our town. And I don't know if you have those here or if the ice cream shops are like this. But, but the, the window starts about here to see the ice cream. And it's like torture for a little kid. You know, and you just see these finger marks on the side of the case, you know, from the kids just trying to climb up. And I know those come from kids that have brothers and sisters because, you know, the only children, they just pick them right up. And, oh, you know, what do you want, Johnny? Do you want bubble gum or do you? And that, you know, when there's like three or four of them, the parents are just like, what do you want? I can't see. Just stand on your brother's head. Just what, what do you want? We want chocolate. That's what you're going to get. You know, by the time you have one and you just pour your life into them, you start having three or four. And it's just like, let's survive. Look, if you, and you can hear a mother in a shop say, if you don't tell me what you want in 10 seconds, we'll leave here. I'll get my ice cream and we will leave, you know? That's what it's like to be a multiple child in a family. And so you just see the like finger marks. And whenever we went in there, my kids were just like, right? Because they wanted to see something that, that, that I could see. And I realized that sometimes when I raise my hands to the Lord, I'm afraid. You know, I don't want him to hold me. Sometimes when I raise my hands to the Lord, I'm just exhausted. Lord, I just, my life is too much for me. I need you. Sometimes what I'm saying to him is, Lord, I want to see something that only you can see. Lord, I, I'm in the maze and you're above it. Please, God, give me a different perspective. But the last one is by far my favorite. And every once in a while, as little kids, they would come and raise their arms and I would pick them up expecting that they were afraid or that they were tired or that they wanted to see something and they would just wrap their little arms around my neck and just give me a kiss and just say, I love you, daddy. And it was by far my favorite. And I realized that sometimes that's what I expressed to the Lord. And do you know that in the middle of a week where you have forgotten about him, where you have lived your life selfishly, where you haven't read your Bible, you've missed three opportunities to tell somebody about Jesus. Basically, you are the worst Christian who's ever lived. That right in the middle of that week, if something happens, you put in a worship CD or you come to church and in the middle of it, you just say, God, I love you. I know you probably don't want to hear that from me because I'm just such a terrible Christian, but God, I love you. Do you know that that gives him such joy? And the reason we don't understand that is because if you treat a person badly and you say, I love you, then they say, well, why don't you show it? But God knows what we're made out of. And when we make any step toward him, maybe you were here today and you felt bad and maybe rightly so about your life. But somewhere in the middle of that worship set, you just said, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I want to tell you that he took such joy in that that he takes such joy in those things. Any step we make brings joy to him because he knows how difficult it is to be a human. He knows how difficult it is to try to live our lives. He knows how difficult it is to try to fight our flesh. He knows. 
Hebrews says Jesus can sympathize with our weakness because he's been tempted in every way that we are. He knows. And when we give him anything, he rejoices. This kid hasn't done one thing right yet. He hasn't been more responsible. But man, when he took the step on that road to his father's house, it produced. It's right that we should be joyful because he's alive, because he's found. Do you know how easy it's like the father Sandy, the older brother, that it would have been for him to stay over there? But he came back and that makes me happy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to talk about you and who you are. Father, I pray that you would drive some of these things home to me, Lord. I need to hear them. Lord, I need to be reminded that you see things differently than I do. Lord, I need to be reminded that you see my heart, that it's not what comes out of my mouth or out of my life that is ultimately important, but Jesus, it's what comes out of my heart. I need to be reminded, Lord, that even though I feel like a failure and a hypocrite sometimes, even though I feel like I'm giving you so little that it doesn't even matter that anything at all that I do, Lord, to say that I love you, any step at all that I take to you, that it just causes joy. And Lord, I just now pray for my brothers and sisters that are here, Lord. And Lord, wherever they might be, Lord, whether they're away from you, Lord, whether they're just struggling through a life that is difficult, I pray that they would know this morning that your desire is to meet them right where they are, that you don't require them to to do a bunch of things before you'll meet them. Lord, you're here right now to meet them where they are. I pray that you would. Lord, I pray that they would know that although one day and one prayer and it will never be enough for them to overcome or to cover up the mistakes, Lord, that one prayer, one sincere prayer from their heart causes joy in you, that it causes rejoicing in your presence. Lord, that you see them and that you know them and you understand how difficult their life is. And Lord, I just pray that the ones that need to would take the time even now as As we close with a song, Lord, just to say to you, I'm sorry, I love you, soften my heart. Lord, forgive me. Just whatever they need to say, Lord, you know them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would meet them right where they are. And I pray it, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen.